Welcome to Monsters Among Us. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. Welcome to the final regular episode of Season 8. And I have this thing absolutely stuffed with first-hand encounters. So let's not waste any time in getting started. Our first submission of the evening is hauntingly good. Please welcome Alex and his personal experience to the program. Hey Derek, this is Alex from Central Virginia. I've been enjoying your show incredibly a lot recently, so I decided I'd give you a call and leave you a a brief tale of my own poltergeist experience. It probably started when I was pre-five years old, 1995 or earlier, somewhere around there. I remember when I was living in Northern Virginia, we were living in a fairly, I would say it was a pretty new development, just kind of a suburban neighborhood. And uh, when I had sleeping at night in my bed, I rem- remember looking at my closet. It was an open open door at the closet, and the uh, clothes hangers were swaying back and forth, kind of like somebody had pushed them, and they had started this kind of pendulum motion, first towards the wall, then back towards me, then back and back and back, never really letting up. And I remember getting out of bed and going up closer and looking at it, thinking it was just sort of odd. But it didn't freak me out because, you know, I didn't, I didn't really know anything about what that could be or what could be causing that. So the next day, I, I told my mother, I, you know, I saw my clothes hangers swaying back and forth. And she told me that could simply be a trick of the eyes. That, uh, you know, the, the darkness can do that to your perception. And so, you know, I just figured that's what it was. Darkness is, is weird and makes you see things that aren't really happening. And, you know, for my whole life until pretty much now, I kind of just thought that that's what that was. I've started thinking about it more recently because we we moved down into a much more rural area in about 1998, you know, kind of a uh, countryside. We built a new house and it, it really kind of scarred me emotionally, honestly, to to just pick up and go to some place where I knew nobody and I couldn't ride my bike around the suburban neighborhood or anything like that anymore. It was just a big change and it, it really... Um, it, it had me up all night crying for nights and nights on end. And I, I feel like that might have, you know, that just emotional outburst might have triggered something to attract itself to me. Because from that point on, pretty much, I was deathly afraid of being alone. I was deathly afraid of the dark, which was something that occurred before the move. So every night I, I wouldn't go to sleep unless I was sleeping directly outside of my sister's bedroom because I just couldn't stand being too terribly far away from somebody, as if there was some sort of a presence 
that was sort of observing me is kind of how it felt. Anywhere I would go, if I was alone, I felt like there might be something just sort of lurking invisibly in my periphery. I felt like it, you know, it wasn't friendly. I always wanted to be with somebody and I couldn't be in the dark, especially. So that's, that's sort of how I felt for a really long time uh, until I turned like 13. I couldn't even sleep in my own room. I would go to sleep in my own room. I was in the middle of the bed with my head between the two pillows. I put my head on the pillows. I felt like it exposed me too much. So between the pillows, I'm just looking around until I would just fall asleep. Um, and, you know, if the family was up watching TV and it was past my bedtime, I'd go upstairs, pretend to go to bed, and I would sneak down the stairs and crawl around until I could get to a place where I could watch the TV with them without them knowing I was there. It was it was that bad. I was just deathly afraid. And my family, being fairly devout Protestant, would have the deacons in the church pray over me, you know, knowing that there was here. They attributed to horror movies, which did certainly scare me quite a bit at that age. Uh, but, uh, you know, after a while, all that fear just sort of faded, and I started growing up and becoming angsty. And I think around the time between I was 16 and 19 is when things actually really popped off. Uh, but thankfully, that fear having faded, I think, out really well, because it's it started again when I was going to the bathroom. For some reason, everything happened in the bathroom. I was, you know, taking a whiz, and uh, we had, like, air freshener aerosol can hanging out on the counter, and it would start shaking back and forth rapidly. And I, I would pick it up, looking at it quizzically, and I could sort of feel it as I was picking it up, trying to shake in my hand. And then once I got it off the counter, and I'd set it back down, and nothing would happen. And I thought that was really, really odd. Uh, didn't really scare me. I just, I couldn't figure out what was going on. And... Quite some time later, I would I would see a, like a empty can of Coca Cola on the counter, with a bit of moisture beneath it, and it would sort of float atop that almost invisible moisture on the counter, sort of spinning, rotating very slowly, and drifting a little bit. And thought, you know, that that could be the cause, but at the same time, this thing was shaking rapidly. It wasn't drifting, and so as loose of a explanation as that could be, that's kind of what I played it off as, even though I knew it's probably not it. Uh, that actually happened twice. Once I picked it up and put it back down, it stopped shaking. And the second time, this was, you know, all within a couple of week period, I picked it up, set it back down, and it continued to shake. So I picked it up, set it back down again, and then it stopped. That was weird. Okay. But, you know, nothing's harmed me. There's nothing to be scared about. But then I went to uh, another bathroom one night and same thing, taking a whiz. And this is the bathroom I brush my teeth in. And I have a little glass that I use to rinse out my mouth at the end at the end of brushing my teeth. And this night, as I was taking a whiz, finishing up, turn around, and that glass moves clear across the counter. This counter is four or five feet in length, maybe. It moved clear across the full length of that counter, really with purpose, I guess I would say. It wasn't It wasn't slow. It was just... And then it was there. And I saw it in plain sight. So I picked it back up, set it back down where it was, and said, this goes here. And ever since that day, nothing of that sort has happened to me ever again. Honestly, it felt kind of victorious. I felt like I've defeated whatever it was that was trying to mess me by 
asserting my own will over its. But a- after having seen all that, thought about about things moving on their own, it reminded me of that day when I was four or five years old, and I saw those clothes hangers swaying back and forth in my closet. And I thought, has anything else ever tricked my eyes in the darkness like that? And no, I can't really think of anything that has. Anything that I have observed up close that seems to be moving that actually hasn't been. And I think back when I was really young, those clothes hangers were actually moving, and that something may have uh, attached itself to me at one point in time. And didn't really go away until I've basically told it that, listen, I'm not scared. Yeah, since then, nothing's happened. Whether that thing still wants to feed on my fear, I don't know. But it's been about 15 years or so since the last encounter I've had. I've lived a pretty normal life without uh, without much unexplained happening. So I could, I could say I'm probably done with whatever it was. Knock on wood. Well, thanks for listening to my call. Thank you, Alex. There's perhaps another element to this story that Alex may have overlooked. You see, many paranormal researchers claim, or at the very least suspect, that some poltergeist activity is actually caused by adolescent children in the home. It's further theorized that these children are somehow able to generate energy affecting their surroundings. Now, I have no idea how this is supposed to be connected. I attempted to find some respectable information on the subject, but unfortunately I came up short. So is it possible that in some way, somehow, Alex was the cause of the chaos around him without him even knowing it? Now as strange as that sounds, I was pulling calls for this episode and I stumbled upon the following shortly after listening to Alex's submission. I felt that the synchronicities were at least worth pointing out. Not to mention the fact that our second caller's kids may have also been the cause of the activity. But I'll let you be the judge of that. The following was submitted anonymously from the state of Wisconsin. Hi, um, happened last year. I have five kids. And right now, three of them have bedrooms downstairs. Um, We have a finished basement. My two sons share a room downstairs. My daughter has the other room. This happened over a few months. Lots of different things, mostly downstairs. Uh, There must be something weird about the bathroom down there because both my boys have heard things in there while they were in there. My younger son used to say that he hears someone calling his name a lot when he uses the bathroom, or he would hear someone say his name behind him if he was in the bathroom. Not like he heard us calling from upstairs or calling from a different part of the basement. Somebody would, he would hear a voice call him within the bathroom when he was in the bathroom. I always scared him. He said he didn't know the voice. It didn't sound like any of us. It was like a high-pitched little girl voice. Sometimes he would say it came from the ceiling. And (laughs) that's odd because they usually can't even hear us 
call them from downstairs. If we call them from upstairs, they usually can't hear us. So I don't know how he would hear us through the ceiling. So that was weird. My older son has used the bathroom down there and has heard laughing in the ceiling. There was one time in particular, he was only here with her daughter, who's 15, and he heard a high-pitched laughing in the ceiling. And I said, well, it was probably just her, like laughing outside of the door or her pranking you or something. And he said, no, it did not sound anything like her. And she's always said that was not me. I didn't do anything. She was just upstairs. She didn't know anything about it till he came up and said that he heard that. And it's really weird. All these things, yeah, they do prank each other. They do try and scare each other sometimes. But it's always like they tell on themselves, kind of like, oh, haha, I got you or whatever. It's not like a prank that they always deny for the next year, year and a half. <laughs> so I don't know. I believe them. They've always been really scared. They know something's up. Oh, when he heard the laughing in the ceiling, he was a high-pitched girly laughing, and he said he looked at the ceiling tiles above him, and it seemed like something was moving on top of the tiles. Now nothing... We don't have any rodents or any squirrels or anything in our house. We never had a problem with that. But he said that he thought the ceiling tiles moved around like something was up there. Maybe he was just scared and he imagined that, but I don't know. But, yeah, we have those little foam-like drop-in ceiling tiles that are really lightweight. So it's not like a person could be up there or anything. Other thing that was really kind of the first thing that started that scared my youngest son I told my boys to go down to bed, um, and I would come down and say goodnight to them. You know, I told them to go brush your teeth, go to the bathroom, go get in bed. It takes them a few minutes to settle down and everything. So I was just doing some stuff in the kitchen. I was going to come down. Um, my younger son started yelling and screaming and crying. He was terrified. I went down there. He almost, like, couldn't talk. He couldn't get it out. He was so scared. Their lights were on in their room still. They weren't already asleep or, you know, laying down. Or I mean, they both had just gotten in their beds, and they were there with the lights on, just fooling around. Um, my younger son has top bunk. My older son has bottom bunk. My younger son said he saw a hand reaching up into his bed. I thought, well, that's just your brother tried to scare you. He was reaching for you, you know. He was going to scare you. No, no. My older son said, no, I, I did not do that. It's been a year and a half. He out never has changed his story. He's never said, yeah, I did that. I tried to scare him. No. He said, I did not do that. I did not do that. Well, my younger son said that the hand reached up over the edge of the bed and wiggled back and forth until he started yelling. And then it was it went back down. He's still scared once in a while. He'll talk about the hand. <laughs> the hand he saw in his bed. My older son was down in his bed on his tablet at the time. He wasn't fooling around with his younger brother. He wasn't trying to scare him. I believe him. And then, you know, once in a while he'll talk about it. But one of the last times he told me about it, he said it was red and white striped. And I heard that on another caller. He had a red and white striped guy that was running next to his car when he was falling asleep driving. And he didn't... He, it was always 
the same story, that the hand was there and it wiggled back and forth, and then it went down when he started yelling. But he only said the last few times that it was red and white stripes, so I don't know if he was six when this happened. So maybe he just didn't realize that that was something weird he should tell me. I believe him. I don't know. (laughs) It's really weird. You know, sometimes when you're a little kid and you tell somebody something, you think that they can see what you saw or like you can picture it in your mind the way that they saw it. And he didn't realize that he should have told me it was really straight hand. So very odd. Just don't think his older brother was pranking him or his sister was scaring him. She wasn't in there. I don't think anybody had a glove on and wiggled their hand back and forth. Who would think that that would scare somebody so bad? But I hope you can use the story of the podcast. Hope to hear this soon. Thanks, Bubba. Thank you, caller. There was another element besides the adolescent-driven poltergeist activity that I thought was worth mentioning. Longtime listeners may remember me discussing an Unsolved Mysteries episode from back in the day that dealt with the haunting of a home, and it all seemed to stem from the young boy's bunk bed. Weirdly enough, that story also comes out of the state of Wisconsin. In early February of 1987, Alan and Debbie Tallman brought home a bunk bed they had purchased at a second-hand furniture shop. They assembled the bed and stored it in their basement. When the bunk bed was moved upstairs, it marked the beginning of nine months of horror for the Tallmans. From the moment the bed was first slept in, the house appeared to be haunted by spirits that terrorized first the children, then the entire family. I was afraid for my life. I also was very afraid for my family. I had visions of coming home from work and actually seeing my family destroyed, um, brutally murdered or, or just laying there dead. The house where the Tallmans lived had no known history of hauntings, and the Tallmans had never in their lives given ghosts a second thought. The irregular churchgoers. Debbie is a housewife and mother, and Alan is shift supervisor in a manufacturing plant. They are credible and responsible citizens, but their paranormal experiences have left them deeply scarred. They ask that actors portray them in this story and that their children's real names not be used. The Tormans feel they were in a battle with forces they do not understand, a battle they were destined to lose. Of course, that clip comes courtesy of Unsolved Mysteries from NBC. I've linked to the entire Tallman video in the show notes, and I highly recommend you guys check it out. Now, as if those coincidences weren't enough, our caller also mentioned that the hand her son saw was white and red striped. And as our caller pointed out, that description sounds eerily similar. Back on episode 15 of season 4, I shared a call about a man named Alan that also saw a man painted red and white striped. Here is that call. Hi Derek, this is Alan in Mesa, Arizona again. I was recently listening to episode 3 of season 4 and Caitlin's account of the uh, Skinwalker. I've had a similar experience living in Arizona all my life. This event happened in approximately 1990 on the San Carlos Indian Reservation in Southeast Arizona. 
it was late at night. I had been to those car races in Globe. It was returning home, driving down US 70 to Safford. It was about two o'clock in the morning and I was fairly tired. I was only 17 years old and I was driving along and it started to slow down because I was getting sleepy. I just passed through the town of Peridot and I don't know, I probably slowed down to about 40, 45 miles an hour. As I was driving along, I heard a tapping on the side window of my truck. Not thinking about it, I was concentrating on the road. It tapped again and then a bang. And I looked over and there seemed to be a person running next to me on the road. So it kind of freaked me out. I dropped her down the third gear and took off. Got down the road a few more miles. Kind of woke up by now. And as I went through the small town of Bylas, got past there, started getting sleepy again. So I began slowing down. And again, there was a tapping on my window and then a bang. Looked over and it was the same figure running next to me. It was a tall, pale man with red stripes painted on his body and he was keeping pace with me like I said at about 40 45 miles an hour so I again switched gears and took off with that being said it I was driving through the San Carlos Indian Reservation which is an Apache reservation to reference Caitlin's story in the episode and I got home kind of freaked out now wide awake it's right around 2 2 30 now in the morning Talked to my dad, didn't really say anything to him about the situation, just that I got in late. Fast forward to 1993, I'm stationed in 29 Palms, California with the Marines and talking with my roommate, telling the same story. And he goes absolutely ghost white. And I said, what's wrong, Johnny? He had a roommate earlier who lived in Lordsburg, New Mexico, that drove the same route that I drove when he went home on leave and had the exact same experience only two years previous to that. So that would be 1991. So just give a little bit of light on the Caitlin's experience and hope you like the story. I will call him back in more again. Thank you. Have a good day. Bye. So just like most of these other stories, I'm left completely stumped. I couldn't begin to guess what these painted men are, or where they're coming from. Nor do I understand why the first two stories seem to describe very similar experiences. Right down to the mention of the bathroom activity. But what I can say is that I absolutely loved all three of these stories. So thank you again for the amazing submissions. Now this is just the tip of the iceberg. I have so many more amazing tales to share with you, but we may as well get these announcements out of the way. Follow the show on social media, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And don't forget about that Facebook group. If you have a story you would like to share, simply call the hotline at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. Or visit the Report Your Sightings tab on the website, which is Monsters Among Us Podcast. Many of you may have noticed that earlier this week I released a Patreon episode to the general population. I thought that would be a good way for you guys to kind of get an idea of how these new Patreon shows are being played out. 
Essentially, it's the exact same thing you're listening to here, except I have a little more freedom. If you'd like to sign up, simply visit patreon.com and search for Monsters Among Us podcast. Yesterday, Jerry from Hillbilly Horror Stories dropped an interview that I did with him, I guess last week. So if you'd like a peek behind the curtain, I highly suggest you check out that interview. It's Hillbilly Horror Stories. You can find that wherever you can find fine podcasts. So as you've noticed, this is the last regular episode of the season, which means the next episode is our Hometown Legends special. And this one is ramping up to be massive. So I'm going to need a couple weeks to put that thing together. So look for that episode to drop sometime in the first week of February. And lastly, the totes are on their way. They should be listed probably by this time next week. And on top of that, I reordered the Brett Manning shirts. So if you were looking for a black Brett Manning shirt, uh, now's your time. Hop on over to the shop at Monsters Among Us Podcast, click on the shop tab, and pick up whatever you would like. And that was a new song by the group 8-Bit, called Bigfoot in My Backyard. 8-Bit is a band out of New York State, and a big thank you to Bradley for sending that song in. Awesome work, guys. Well, since we played a little Bigfoot song, I figured why not play a Bigfoot story. And Randy, out of the state of Washington, has one that's downright bone-rattling. Hey, well, uh, my name's Randy from uh, Washington State, and I listen to your podcast. I figured I'd chime in a little bit. Stories from back in 2005. Me and my cousin were up hunting on the border of Washington, Idaho, Canada, and um, we're about mm, 23 miles from the closest town, and we're about six miles away from anybody near where we were at. We were up just trying to see some deer, deer season. Went down an old, old, old logging trail hadn't been used in a long time and we knew it ended up as an old pond and down the left side of it was like a hill drop and it kind of circled up towards us and we sat in that area for a little while and on the right side of us was a hill and we were sitting there for a little while and some uh, does popped up and probably about 20 minutes little does were still hanging around in front of us less than 50 yards and down below us we could hear branches breaking down below us and it kept coming towards the left and started crawling up that hill. And as it got towards the top of the hill, we heard a growling screech like we'd never heard before. And me and him are both pretty familiar with bears, wolves, cougars, all that jazz. And um, those deer went running right by us. And I mean, within feet, 
like we weren't even there. And at the same time, we could hear what sounded like giant footsteps running on the hillside, just boom, boom, boom. But the strides had to be really big, and we could hear, I mean, some big logs, old rotten logs breaking at the same time, just because of the distance it covered. We went up there to see if we could see what it was, never got a sight of it, saw some big imprints, but nothing that was definite on what it might be. But it kind of freaked us out because I've never seen a deer run by us like that before, so we decided to hightail it out of there. We went about two miles away, and uh, this was another big bull, I guess you could say. Dove down in this bull, and we get down there and we see something that's a little odd looking, something that we've never seen before. And it was this half-built teepee built around a big tree. And it was probably about eight feet tall. Uh, I'm six foot, and it was taller than what I could reach. On the inside of it was hundreds and hundreds of bones. What we could recognize was part of a cougar leg, a couple deer bones, skull of a moose. To this day, we had no idea what it was. I mean, it was all pretty fresh, and it reeked. That entire area was a smell I hadn't smelled before, a mixture of decomposing and something else. But it was pretty weird to see all those bones all lined up like that. And then, so, of course, you know, we go into town trying to find out what the deal is about that area. So we talked to a couple locals. I don't want to say where because they don't like it, but a guy said, uh, they don't talk about that stuff in town, but I asked where it was, and all he said that there's been a lot of sightings of some big creatures up in that area, and everybody stays out of there, which would probably suggest why we never saw anybody around there. And what was interesting, less than six months later, we went back up there, and uh, the whole area had been uh, logged out, and that whole bone pile was gone. So, hope you enjoy it. Thank you. Thank you, Randy. I suppose it's obvious that the loggers didn't report their discovery of the mysterious bone pile. If they had, I'm sure, at some point we would have heard of it. Even if the structure and collection were made by a rogue human, you'd think something like that would be newsworthy. That is a strange collection of items. And perhaps I should have led with this question, but... Are there animals out there that would collect bones in this manner? Obviously, they're not making lean-tos, but is it possible that they found one a human previously made and decided to make it their home? Now, I'm certainly not an animal expert by any means, but I do know a fair amount about wildlife, and I cannot think of a single animal other than a human that would pile bones up like that, at least not in North America. Perhaps someone listening has some intel that I'm not privy to. If that's the case, I'd love to hear from you guys. So thank you again, Randy, for taking the time to share that. Hopefully, it's just a crazy porcupine with a calcium deficiency. But, if they're collecting moose skulls, cougar bones, ooh, I don't know. All bets are off. Thanks again, Randy. Now our next story takes us to southwestern Pennsylvania. The following is Johnny Moe's story out of the Keystone State. Hey Derek, this is Johnny Moe from Pittsburgh. The story I'm about to tell you took place a little over 15 years ago in August of 2004. It was my last night of summer vacation before I started my senior year of high school. I was with three friends, 
And this happened in a small town of Portview, Pennsylvania. Now, there is an old legend in this town that states that the local Little League field was built on a Native American burial ground. And we'd heard it from time to time again, and it just became hearsay. And a lot of us thought the parents had made that up to keep people out of there at night because of the secluded location. Now, this baseball field is located not far into the woods, but far enough where you wouldn't want kids running around unsupervised. It's also adjacent to two local cemeteries, which which we thought at the time was the origin of this uh, legend. However, as I digress, I can prove that that is not the case. So three friends and I were venturing down a uh, dirt path that leads from the main road to the baseball field area because I just want to stress that the four of us were sober at the time of this story. However, that was not our intentions as we ventured off into the woods. Unfortunately, that night it did not come to that. So as we were walking through this, it was approximately maybe nine, ten at night, warm, dark, a little bit windy. And I remember it vividly to this day. I had heard it a bunch of voices talking, several young voices sounded like children, but we couldn't understand what they were saying. We could just tell that the voices were coming from deeper into the woods near the baseball field. Granted, we figured it was just other kids like ourselves out having fun the night before classes started. So we walked a little bit further and we approached the baseball field from a distance, Dran is probably about maybe a hundred feet away, and we were at a slight elevation due to the multiple hills in the area here in southwestern Pennsylvania. So we had a pretty good vantage point of the entire scene. Now the field was lit up with yellow uh, safety lights, not real bright, just enough to let you see what's happening down there, unfortunately. And uh, we saw about at least a dozen different figures, children running around the field and it didn't occur to me what I was seeing at the time until I noticed that they were translucent. I saw one look me right in the eyeballs and realized that I could see the trees behind him through his body and they all had a dark, dark brownish hue to them. They weren't shadow people. This was something else entirely and I froze in my steps. I was so scared that this was happening. I refused to notice that well, the, my other three friends had already started running out of there. They realized what was happening as well. So I followed suit, running back up the path where we came, and I swear to this day I heard someone chasing me out of those woods in the tall grass, and I looked behind and no one was there. So we made it back to the main road and we regrouped, talked about what we just seen. Now, most of the people there, you know, I still talk to this day, and one of which refuses to acknowledge the incident even happened. The other two admit something happened, but the three of them really don't like speaking about it. Uh, personally, it kind of started my whole interest in the, this subject here. And, and well, I just want to say thanks for your podcast, because that's uh, what eventually led me to. And, and because I know you research every one of these stories, if you research the town, it's Port View, spelled V-U-E. 
Now, this is an important piece of information I'm about to share because this is what really opened my eyes and scared the crap out of me. Uh, years later, I was trying to find any information I could whatsoever on this burial ground by researching online. And there was very, very minimal information just because of the, uh, how should I say this, uh, unpopular nature of this particular town. Very small, no reason for anyone to go there unless you know someone that lives there. Well, it was years later, I was doing some research online. I found a website called Tube City Online, which features the history of the city of McKeesport and the surrounding communities, Port View being one of which. And on this website, they have multiple documents in PDF form, one of which was a, a newsletter sent out to the residents of Port View in 1976 for the country's bicentennial. Now, in this document, there is a small history of an archaeological dig that took place in the town of Port View in the late 1800s and carried on through the early 1900s. And in this specific area known as Portsmouth Drive, it was found a child cemetery from the Neolithic era. Now, when I read that, my blood just kind of went cold there because I realized that, well, it's certainly explained a lot of what I was seeing as well as some of the other things we heard about the area over the years. And uh, talking to some other people that live nearby, there's a row of houses located not too far from this area that a lot of people believe sit on top of the Native American burial ground. People I've spoken with said they've seen uh, Native Americans inside their basements walking through walls telling them that they need to leave immediately. Some people have vivid nightmares, wake up, they see them inside their bedrooms, things of that nature. One of, this, one of these stories actually came from a local police officer who lived on that street and was not inclined to lie. So I went to a high school with some of his children so that's my story. Thanks for all your good work, man. I've uh, just found your podcast recently, and I've been playing the heck out of it every day here. Keep up the good work. Later. Thank you, Johnny Mo. Johnny Mo took my advice, and it paid off. Research the area of your sighting. Johnny Mo did just that and uncovered a children's cemetery. Now, of course, the simple presence of a children's cemetery in that area doesn't solve the case but it does lend some anecdotal evidence to Johnny Moe's claims. Now, coincidentally, my dad actually runs a trucking route through that area, so next time I talk to him, I'm going to ask him about some of these legends. Maybe he's heard of them. So thank you again, Johnny Moe. I can't imagine laying eyes on such a spectral scene. So our next story of the evening comes to us from a world away. The following is Theosha's call from New Zealand. Hi, Derek. This is Theosha. <laughs> I live in New Zealand, and the story takes place in New Zealand, just off of the south coast of the North Island. This is a, basically a response to the season eight, episode eight, uh, Dimension Door. Um, well, I don't think I saw a dimension door. It was a rectangle with a red a red light. Not like the whole rectangle was lit up. It honestly, it was for me. It looked like a UFO. 
I was just outside taking out the garbage, so it was on a Tuesday in like August last year, so 2018. Yeah, so uh, I'd been living in the place for long enough to like know the cloud cover and things like that. And uh, just because of uh, relationships, I know all about drones and what they sound like, what they look like. And this was a completely silent hovering object and uh, it was uh, similar to the episode 8 story about uh, up on the ridge line. Um, I live kind of in like a little nested valley um, and uh, yeah so like I'm very familiar with the with the stars and things like that and uh, there wasn't any clouds so it was like but it was just this black rectangle that uh, had the appearance of not being too far up uh, like above houses on the ridge line but not far up. Uh, I'm not going to post any pictures, but uh, yeah, anyway, uh, kind of crazy. I didn't see it go anywhere. Uh, I went back inside to get my phone, <laughs> and by the time I came back out, it was gone. There's nothing there. So um, that was really unsettling, uh, the fact that I couldn't see it across the sky. I don't think it would have been able to travel as fast as it should, so maybe, maybe the whole closing thing is what I missed. But I just thought I would call and share my story. You have a great show. You have a great format. But yeah, I hope you can use this for the show and uh, that you continue to make the show. Thanks very much. Bye. Thank you, Theasha. Like the first two calls of the episode, this one too was part of a running string of synchronicities. If you remember back to episode eight of this season... You may recall Jeff's call from upstate New York where he described seeing a red rectangle in the sky that seemed to close like an elevator door. He even sent in a photo of the incident. Well, what if I told you that the Asha isn't the only caller to chime in regarding Jeff's original submission? In fact, the following was submitted by David in the state of Arizona. Hey, Derek. Hey, this is David in Arizona, beautiful Arizona. I live about 30 miles southwest of Phoenix. If you get a map and draw a line, you'll see that that's, uh, there's not a lot out there. We're just surrounded by desert and sky. In this area, because we have uh, Luke Air Force Base um, out to our northeast, we see F-22s, F-35s, F-16s. And then, you know, Sky Harbor traffic, we see a lot of commercial. So I see a lot of night sky. I I know what I'm seeing. (laughs) So the area that we live in is, I guess you could call it uh, UFO-ish. There's a lot of sightings out here. I haven't seen anything, not a thing, a lot of airplanes. Um, You know, nice, clear skies. But again, I haven't seen a traditional UFO. But the story I have is UFO-related. And what prompted me to call is the gentleman in upstate New York that saw the elevator closing, the portal kind of thing, because I thought I was crazy. The story I'm going to tell you is a little nuts. So, and I've never told anyone. It's just one of those kinds of stories that, uh, you know, I mean, nobody would believe you. But maybe your listeners would and you, I don't know. So anyway, in the middle of the night, a lot of times I'll get up and, and look around. You know, I, I sometimes have trouble sleeping, so I'll go out in the back and just kind of walk from side to side of the property and, uh, you know, just hang out and 
you know, go back to bed, that kind of thing. So it's about two o'clock, I don't know, maybe a year ago, something like that. And I walk, walk out in the back and I walk kind of to my right, which leads to the northeast sky. And I look up and there is a disc. When I say disc, it's so hard. It's like something that's about, I don't know, 10% of the moon. Okay. And it's, it's gold radiating is the light, but not, not like moon light. And it's in, you know, it's in a place that it shouldn't be. I don't, and it, it shouldn't be. It, it's, I mean, things would have to be huge to be way up there in the sky and, and look like that. So anyway, so round object, dim gold glow, but bright enough, pretty color actually. So, you know, I'm looking at that. I'm like, oh, dude, that, what is that? You know, so you, I do what everybody else does. I look down, <laughs> I look back up and the, as I look up, this thing is getting bigger. Like if you were to think of a camera iris getting bigger and it got to be about the size, I don't know, half the size of the moon. So I'm looking at this. I'm like, Holy, what is that? I mean, that's impossible. It's in a place where the moon doesn't even go to that area. So anyway, so this thing's half, half that size. I'm, I can't say I'm freaking out. I'm just like, what in the world? Cause it's happening pretty quickly. And as I'm, and of course I didn't take my eyes off it again. So as I'm watching, it starts to get smaller, just the same kind of deal, like an iris closing, and I, and then it's gone, right? And I'm like, I'm still looking, and a little tiny dot comes out of it, like if a satellite, right? You know, we've all seen satellites going across the sky. That's what it looked like, and I followed that thing, I don't know, 45 seconds until it disappeared. So here we have whatever that was you know i mean if 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 you were going to do like a science fiction movie and have a portal i that's what you would do so it's it's uh like that um that's really it so i appreciate what you do i uh i've never was never a huge ufo fan because most people make fun of it and even the top the other shows that take it seriously make fun but the calls and you know your take on it really uh give people a reason to call and uh you know i hope you have an an idea of what this uh, might be or more people have seen this because it's it was amazing and it was something i felt like i was honored to see it because it's just not in our frame of reference i mean that's why i've never told anybody but anyway i hope that i hope this helps and I, i look forward to hearing what you guys have to say thanks Derek. bye Thanks, David. I love that David is so reluctant to call this thing a UFO. To me, that tells me that he's very careful with the words that he throws around, and that he also knows what the weight of a word like UFO carries. In short, it somehow makes Daniel's story more believable. And I know what everyone is thinking. What are these things? Are they some sort of craft? A projected light? Or perhaps a doorway to another dimension? If this is something involving our military, why was it witnessed over New Zealand? And I suppose the most important question of all, are all these things connected? Until the day that info is shared with us, I suggest we keep our eyes skyward. You never know what might be up there. Thank you again, Theasha, and thank you again, David, for taking the time to share your stories. And that's going to bring us to our final call of the evening. And for this one, we make our way to the state of Michigan. 
The following is Eric's call. Hey, Derek. My name is Eric. I am calling from Michigan. Uh, this story took place in probably around 2004 in Livonia, Michigan. There was a place called Ardmore Center, which was an abandoned mental institution or whatever, whatever it was. And me and my friends used to go break into it, and it was shaped like an L. So the bottom of the L would be facing the road. So once you get across the road, you'd really quick run across, and then you'd be behind the bottom of the L, so you would be blocked from the road. And on two occasions, we had the first one, it, it like had a light snowing, and we kept hearing it sounded like footsteps in this like wet snow. And so we went out and looked, and there was footsteps that stopped in the middle of the field, and there was all woods around it. Uh, the second time we went, and me and my buddy were walking up to this window, and it was kind of like a ground floor window, like it was, you know, on the ground and then three foot up. But the inside was like four foot down. So it was like a half submerged, it was a hallway of some sort. And we were walking up with flashlights and this guy with a flannel shirt just comes walking across the hallway, didn't even look at our flashlights, didn't acknowledge us. And my buddy was in front of me and he immediately like shot up and looked back at me and goes and mouth the words like WTF. And I was like, dude, I saw that. Well, then his brother was looking up in one of the windows and said he saw some bouncing light in the windows at the same time. And we kind of got the chills. I went in there with other friends and I got lost in there. Couldn't get signal reception. And then I think the last time we got stopped by the cops and he kind of just was like, get out of here, you know. He could see that we didn't have like spray paint. We weren't trying to vandalize anything. We were just looking. So we started to ask him. And I was like, have you had anything scary happen to you? And he was like, well, I've had to search a few of you out of there because for some reason, signal, you don't get reception in there. So I've had to go in and search out. But then he put his hand on his gun. And he goes, but luckily I got this. He was kind of weirded out by the whole situation. I just thought it was funny. I've been hearing about the flannel man a lot, and that's exactly what we saw, was a dude wearing flannel with a big beard, and it was cold, and he just walked right by us in this, like, lower level through the window, and both of us saw it. But it was almost, it wasn't like a real person. It was like you could see through. It's really hard to explain. It was just a really weird experience, and both of us saw it at the same time. So it wasn't just me. It was somebody else. But that place has since been taken down, and there's a subdivision there now. It was called Ardmore Center in Livonia, Michigan. We went to a lot of other places, so I have other stories, but I'll leave it there for now. And I enjoy your show very much. Thanks for letting me call. Bye. Thank you, Eric. Okay, so I've heard of the Flannel Man before. And it's my understanding that it's a phenomenon not unlike the Mirrored Men. An enigma with many questions and very few answers. I also know that if I had a flannel man question, there's one man that might have the answers. The host of the Strange Familiars podcast, and a man I'd like to think of as a flannel man expert, Timothy Renner. Timothy and his wife Allison were kind enough to record a little segment about this little-known phenomenon. Please welcome them both to the program. 
This is Timothy Renner, host of Strange Familiars Podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Allison, who's also my wife. And the reason she's sitting beside me is we're talking about this flannel man entity, and she was the first person I knew to experience this phenomenon back in the mid-90s. Tell us what you saw, Allison. We fell asleep kind of routinely. At the time, I slept on the floor of my bedroom, and you were sleeping over. We were listening to Nurse With Wounds' Thunder Perfect Mind, which has this very rhythmic kind of hypnagogic kind of uh, drumming into it. And sometime in the middle of the night, I woke up, and when I woke up, I saw what looked to me like an evil brawny paper towel guy <laughs> or like Yukon Cornelius uh, overgrown woodsman plaid clad man <laughs> and I screamed and everyone in the house came into the room because I think they thought you were trying to kill me <laughs> <laughs> yeah the only thing I remember is waking up to you screaming which I think like now that I think about it, is the only time in my life that I've ever screamed audibly like woken up and screamed audibly at the same time. So what did you see? I saw what looked like um, a lumberjack. Standing at our feet. Standing at our feet, bigger than life. It was just so taken aback by waking up in the dark and seeing something that I screamed, and it was just, this, at the time, the scariest thing I could have imagined. And you said he had not a really intimidating look on his face. I mean, he wasn't supposed to be there. Right, I mean, that yeah, was the scary part. That's the scary part. Somebody's not supposed to be in your room that isn't invited. Sure. But he did look kind of like he was caught. He wasn't making a move towards hurting me. He was just there. So this happened in the 90s, and some time passed after that. I don't remember if it was six months or a year or two years before I had looked on some internet forum and found people talking about this flannel man entity which I didn't tell you about then for another decade or more. Yeah, I, I overheard you and one of your, the other co-hosts, James, kind of talking about how I had seen something. But I could imagine, like, that didn't even occur to me that that's what you guys were talking about. Yeah. So because you, it just didn't seem like a paranormal experience. It just seemed like a weird, freaky dream that I had. You're our resident skeptic at Strange Familiars. And I I'll, mentioned... I'll own that. <laughs> I mentioned offhandedly that even you had experienced something, and I mentioned this flannel man character. That really burst open the floodgates, and we started getting account after account after account of people who had seen what we call flannel man. It's not one entity. It seems to be an army of different fellows, and even women. We've had a couple flannel women accounts as well, who wear these checked or plaid shirts. Most often... Buffalo plaid, red and black. Not always, though. We've had some yellow plaid. We've had some brown plaid. We've had even some blue plaid, I believe. For a while, we were getting reports almost weekly. Uh, we still get a lot of reports. We've done at least four full shows on Flannel Man, on Strange Familiars. And we've had lots of other Flannel Man stories in other episodes that weren't fully dedicated to Flannel Man. Unfortunately, I can't tell you what he is. I can tell you John Keel talked about these entities in the 1970s. I can tell you that there was a mine collapse in the 1940s in which a guy in a plaid or check shirt walked out of the wall, told the miners they would be saved, they would be okay, and walked back in the wall and they could not find the doorway from which he entered or exited. 
The miners were saved, by the way. His prediction was correct. Theories as to what this guy is have ranged from everything to a watcher on the threshold to something like the Men in Black to a modern version of Odin walking through the world. I think he would have been missing an eye. We have a, a flannel man story of uh, a guy missing an eye. Hmm. So whatever it is, it seems to be cropping up. It seems to be some sort of archetype or thing that people are seeing in many strange situations. I'm sure we will get more flannel man stories on strange familiars, as I'm sure Monsters Among Us will get more flannel man stories as well. It's definitely a thing. You can go to strangefamiliars.com and find all of our flannel-related content there as well. A big thank you to Timothy and Allison for taking the time to share that info. So here we are again. It seems these flannel men are similar to our old friends, the Mirrored Men, in that they were little known until people began sharing stories on shows like Timothy's and mine. And just like many of these strange experiences, we're left with twice as many questions as answers and a thirst for knowledge that is practically unquenchable. But with each story we hear and with each story submitted, I can't help but think that we're inching ever closer to the facts, to the answers, and to the truth. Thanks again, Eric, Timothy, and Allison for taking the time. And that's going to do it for this episode. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Addie Lloyd. All audio used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. And that terrifying music you're hearing? Well, that's co.ag. Thank you so much for listening, and until next week. Oh, you stuck around. Well, I haven't done anything with the grab bag segment in quite a while, so I thought, let's grab bag tonight's written submission. So, sight unseen, the following story comes to us from Jay in the state of Maine. Hi, Derek. I grew up in Port Elizabeth, Maine, not far from Stephen King's birthplace. And this experience sounds like something straight out of one of his books. And I wish it was. In the early 1980s, I must have been about four or five when this occurrence happened. It was close to Christmas and it had been snowing. I went to my backyard to build a snowman. It was getting dark and it was getting gloomy. Quite eerie already. At the bottom of the yard was a fence which backed into the woods. And sat there on the fence post is what looked like a small human. 
I froze. My parents didn't have any gnomes or garden ornaments, and I was initially filled with dread. Then I saw it move, and it turned to face me. I don't know if this thing was a gnome or a leprechaun or something else, but whatever it was, it was evil. I could tell by the sense of dread it was filling me with. It wore a dirty green and brown outfit with a pointed hat and had a white bristly beard. He didn't speak, but I could, I don't know, hear him speaking in my head. He asked questions. I didn't reply to them. But it was as if he knew the answers anyway. He tried to earn my trust and lure me closer to him because he had something he wanted me to do. But I didn't move. I could tell he wasn't being truthful. He wanted me to do something terrible. I don't know if I should say what he wanted me to do, but it involves setting a fire. And he was almost begging me to do it. My mom opened the back door and came out to call me in for dinner. Then the gnome, or whatever it was, and I remember this part vividly. It jumped off the post into the snow and scurried into the woods. The way he moved from the top of the pile gave me the creeps. And the only way I can describe his walk is how people with dwarfism walk. But he was no more than maybe 60 centimeters tall. My mother didn't see him and I wish I went to see if he left tracks in the snow. But I was too scared to even go near the end of my backyard ever again in fear of being taken somewhere. I never told my parents because they'd think I was crazy or making things up. I can't remember anything from this time in my life, like what I got for Christmas that year or what I ate that night, but I remember this as if it happened just an hour ago. I saw it a few more times as a young child, but would always come inside before he could quote-unquote speak to me. As I got older, I never saw him, or saw him less, at least if I did. I suppose my subconscious probably didn't want to acknowledge it. It freaked me out so much that I moved as far away from Maine as possible. I now live in California, so I think I've accomplished that goal. My parents still live in the same house. I visit them most Christmases with my family, but I'm always terrified that I'll see that thing again. Or even worse, my kids will. Thanks for the show, and I hope you can use my story. Jay. Well, thank you, Jay, for taking the time to share. As crazy as this story sounds, this is not the first time I've heard an experience like this. And this next bit of information may not be what Jay wants to hear, but a majority of the cases that I've heard about ironically take place in the state of California. In fact, if you go back to Monsters and Mysteries in America, there's a case of a small gnome-like creature that fits the same exact description that Jay gave, and that actually took place somewhere in central California. So thank you again, Jay, for taking the time to share that story. And thank you for sticking around to the end of the program. Have a great night. <laughs>